We are creatures of desire. What we most desire is meaning. What makes us suffer most is a lack of meaning. The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. Marital therapist, author, and communications trainer Andrew G. Marshall invites guests from all walks of life to discuss what makes life meaningful. Hello, I'm Andrew G. Marshall. Welcome to The Meaningful Life. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Podbeam, Amazon Music, and wherever you find your podcasts. Do we need a more honest conversation about divorce? From my experience as a marital therapist, I would say yes. There is still a lot of shame attached to the subject, a lot of pain too, so it doesn't make for a nice conversation. And lots of my male clients in particular will say to me, why did nobody tell me the truth about divorce? There can be a lot of hope too. If we split up and get divorced, we can stop fighting, start to cooperate, and that will benefit the kids. So it can be a shock when the divorce doesn't quite turn out like that. My witness would definitely agree that we need to change the conversation about divorce. Samantha Baines is an activist, an actress, and a broadcaster, and host of the podcast The Divorce Social, which won a top award at the International Women's Podcast Awards and bronze at the British Podcast Awards for Best Sex and Relationship Podcast. Congratulations on the prize. I was honoured to be nominated in the same category. So what made you decide to start the podcast? Hello. Lovely to meet a fellow category nominee. (laughs) By the way, I should say, when you get bronze, you don't get a physical award. So I just stood up at the ceremony and went, woo, because you don't get to go on stage. But it was very nice nonetheless. I started the podcast because I got divorced and I was in my early 30s and I definitely felt very different from all of my peers. I didn't know anyone else who was going through divorce at the time. My parents had separated but didn't officially get divorced and then my dad died. So I felt like there wasn't really anyone in my life that I could ask, you know, divorce questions of and just talk about the experience. And um, I wanted to know if I was weird or if other people went through all these emotions as well. And I realised that a podcast is a great way to make people talk to you (laughs) because it's an (laughs) excuse. So I always say that I actually set up the podcast quite selfishly initially just to meet other divorced people and be like, am I strange? Do you feel this too? And um, it's now kind of become so much more than that and a way for other people to feel the same as I did, feel like we're not alone, open up. I wanted it to be honest, no jargon. You know, I'm not a therapist or counsellor in any way. I'm just a normal woman who got divorced and I talk to normal people, albeit a lot of the time in the public eye, who have got divorced too. So it's just a very honest conversation about it. You've had many more female guests than male guests. Do you find it get a very different response on the topic of divorce from your male guests and your female guests, or is it the same? It's interesting. I find it harder to find male guests. And I should say all genders are welcome. You know, I've interviewed non-binary people as well, but 
I find it harder to find people who identify as male who are willing to talk on the podcast about their experience. I think quite often the response I get is that it would anger the woman if it's a straight facing relationship that they've got divorced from, which is interesting. Women aren't worried about making their ex-husbands angry then. Well, some are. And I sort of normally ask during the process as well, do you have a suey ex? Which means, are they going to try and sue you or me? We always try and avoid kind of any slating of the ex. And it's more about the person I'm interviewing and their experience. But yeah, some women are worried, but I I don't know if it's this thing of women as storytellers, like we're more inclined to want to share our stories. And, you know, obviously it might be something to do with the fact that I identify as female and I'm the host. So maybe women feel more comfortable sharing with me than men do. I don't know. But the men I've had on the podcast have been very open and and honest and and actually very honest about their faults as they would call them or the part they had to play in the divorce and sometimes a lot more honest than some of my female guests are about that. Mm, That's interesting. So when you got married what were your expectations of marriage first of all? I think for me it was always it was one of those life goals so kind of an unwritten thing of you know, you do well in your career and and career has always been really important to me. You do well in your career and and you buy a house and you get married and you have children, you know, as a woman, that's what you're aiming for. In that order? Yeah, probably. Buy a house before you get married. Yeah. So I don't have children. So of my ideal plan, I've already failed there. And I did buy a house with my ex. And I still own a house now as a divorced woman. So tick. And then I did get married and I've now got divorced, but I still view that as a tick. So I've achieved two out of the three of what women are normally told that we need to achieve. And actually, I mean, I will go back and answer your question in a second, but actually having achieved the marriage bit and then coming through the other end and got a divorce, it makes me realize how ridiculous those kind of societal goals that we're brought up with, that you, this is what you should do. And this is the sign of a healthy, successful life that are actually pretty ridiculous and aren't for everyone. And that's not to say I wouldn't get married again. It's just having come through it, I'm like, wow, did I need to do that? I'm not sure I did. So I think when I went into the marriage, my ideals and my beliefs of what married life would be is this idyllic, oh, everything's sorted now because we're married and we've committed to each other and we're just lovely, content life and we don't have to worry about our relationship. We only have to worry about other things around that, you know, and supporting each other and that kind of safety. We're more set in life now. That's what I believed and I wanted, and I didn't get it. My reaction is, oops. Yeah. Because the sort of idea that, you know, we're now married and now it's happily ever after, and as you say, tick, and we can put our relationship to one side and focus on other things. Well, 
I spend my days talking to people who felt exactly that and then they get a nasty shock. Yeah, I was completely wrong and I'm happy to say that. And I'm interested in where these ideas come from. And one of the things about the podcast is, as you said, opening the conversation around divorce because I didn't know any of these facts about divorce or experiences that other people have had about divorce or I'd never really heard those conversations happen about divorce and marriage after the, you know, romantic comedies always end at the marriage, at the wedding. They never go on into married life. So we we don't really see a portrayal of marriage and divorce and how you make that work. And the conversations aren't really there, which is, you know, part of the reason for my podcast. Yeah, I think the conversation about what marriage is like sort of happens in soap operas. There's a, a lot of what happens next in soap operas, but they're always rather dramatic. You know, somebody gets kidnapped or a, a lorry is driven into the front of their house or something like that. And there's lots and lots of drama. And so people feel, at least this is what I'm told over and over again, is we thought it was okay, often because they've been focusing very much on the children. And then suddenly they realise that it's not okay. It's that day-to-day stuff that is difficult. But anyway, we're not here to talk about marriage. We're here to talk about divorce. But just on that, I think it's true. Like soaps, it's like something huge happens, like a kidnap or someone cheats, which obviously happens to a lot of people. But in the day-to-day, when you're just unhappy every day making a cup of tea, making dinner, you know, whatever it is, doing the washing. And I mean, both of you, I don't mean me as a woman doing all those things. You know, then you think, well, it's fine because no one's cheated or kidnapped my ex. (laughs) Because no one talks about, you know, what happens if you're unhappy every single day when nothing's going on. Mm. Yep. And at that point, a a conversation is generally a good idea. But Unfortunately, lots of people just put their heads down and say, you know, it's supposed to be okay, it's just me. And people don't have the conversation until they arrive at my office, sometimes too late. But how long were you married for? I wasn't married for long, actually. I had a big life occurrence. Um, My dad died. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. So we were engaged to be married and my dad was very ill. He got ill sort of very quickly, had a lung disease and he was in a home and we were planning a wedding. So we lived in London and we were planning a wedding in Edinburgh because it's where we'd first met. And it was looking more and more likely that my dad wasn't going to be able to make that just because, you know, he was getting ill and he might die. But more so we were thinking because it's a long way and he was on oxygen and there was so much to organise and it would be a a really big kind of thing for him to do all that travelling and really take it out of him. So we actually had an impromptu wedding that we organised in two weeks in a registry office, which was the official bit of our wedding that my dad could come to. And that was really amazing. And I felt very happy at that ceremony and I felt all the, you know, yeah, best day of my life, sort of very happy getting married. And then in between that ceremony and the planned big wedding, my dad died. There was about a six month gap in between them. So 
there was lots going on with me and lots of shifts happening with me to do with, you know, losing my dad and grief. And I was in counselling for grief. And so, yeah, there was lots going on. And then we had the ceremony in Edinburgh and I wasn't happy on that day, but I attributed that to losing my dad. And I still don't know how much of that was losing my dad and how much of it was I was having second thoughts about the marriage. But by that point, I was already married officially. And this was the big party. And then we, sorry, just to answer your question, we were married for like a year and a half. I mean, what I was going to say is that losing a parent, particularly, and I'm just going to have to guess, I would think you're probably about 30 at that point. Yeah. 29, because he wasn't there for my 30th birthday, yeah. I mean, that makes you realise just how limited time is on this planet. I mean, we sort of intellectually know it, but being at a parent's deathbed, you know, really reminds you of that. And that focuses your mind, you know, you can't go into that sort of I'm unhappy, but, you know, there's always tomorrow sort of kind of thing that we were talking about is not portrayed in the soaps. It really makes you think what makes life meaningful, doesn't it? It's really a huge wake-up call. Yeah, and a lot of people I speak to on my podcast quite often have a big life event before they get divorced, you know, like a parent dying. And I think sometimes it does take that something to make you look at your life differently and rethink things. And I mean, my dad died when I was on my hen do. Because my life is like a weird, dark sitcom. I was going to say, yeah, that sounds like a soap opera, doesn't it? Yeah. So that was strange. And in hindsight, my friend joked to me, she's a very good friend, so she's allowed to make this joke, that, you know, your dad died on your Hindu. Was that not a clear sign that you shouldn't get married? (laughs) But I was like, yeah, actually, I never thought about it like that. You don't need to chop up the chicken and read its entrails, really, do you? No, that that's one? quite clear. Yeah, I think for me, it, it was the shift of, I was changing as a person possibly more quickly. I, you know, I think if my dad hadn't died, we probably would have been married for longer. I don't think the end would have been different, but it would have taken me longer to get there. I don't know about him because I can't speak for him. And we both did decide to get divorced. It wasn't my decision that he was shocked by. But I think there was lots of shifts happening with me in therapy, dealing with the grief and what that meant for my life and losing my dad that made me get to that place quicker. Did it help? Do you think that it was a joint decision rather than one person's decision? Well, in some ways, yes, because I interviewed a lot of people who've been kind of blindsided by that decision. I know it comes as a really big shock, but even though it was half my decision. It was still a shock in a different way. You know, it's a shock to the system and a shock to your life. And you sort of think about all the ways that you'll go on being on your own. But in reality, you can never really plan. You can do like, what are my finances like? Where can I live? But then when you are on your own doing those things, you know, new things spring up and you haven't really you can't plan for everything. So it's still a shock to the system, that kind of losing of this other person, 
even if it's your decision, because, you know, we were together for nearly a decade. So all of a sudden I'd lost my dad and now I'd lost or given up or whatever you want to call it, my other half. So these two strong male figures in my life were suddenly gone. And that was a big shock. And I didn't realise I'd find that sort of feeling shocking. And you've got two sets of grief at the same time, because even if it's something you want, you still need to grieve the end of your relationship, don't you? Yeah. And actually, I think, you know, while I said things were shifting for me and I was realising, you know, what was important in life, I think also going through the process of that grief and my partner not being there for me in the way that I felt I wanted them to be there. That's not to say he wasn't there and he wasn't trying, but that also made me think about the relationship and the ways that it worked. And I was like, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. And I don't feel supported in the way I want to be supported. And, you know, we did have conversations about that. And and I think that sort of also highlighted to me that you can be in love and you can really love the person but there are very practical things that comes along with being in a relationship with someone and being in a long-term relationship with someone. And obviously communication is one of them, but then you also have to be willing to meet in the middle and explain what you need and the other person to then try to achieve what you've explained. And that, that wasn't there. And that is, was a real struggling point. And I think we both realized that it wasn't like I was like you're not there for me that's it you know he was like I can't seem to be there for you in the way that you want and and there was this really big block there and it does make you think of the future and is this going to work and obviously there's lots of other things that play into it it's not just that but yeah I think that whole process was kind of a catalyst for us sitting down together and saying I think we should separate and do you feel a, a stigma or a shame about divorce and actually only being, I was going to say only, but only being married for a short time? Interesting you had to tell me that you've been together for 10 years. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I've spoken to a lot of people who've been together for a long time and married for a very short time. And then obviously the opposite is true, together for a short time and, and married for a long time. And I think, yeah, people do assume if you've not been married for long, it's not as painful. And obviously I haven't been married for a long time to compare it, but it was very painful. So <laughs> I don't think kind of length of time has a huge bearing on the emotion that you go through. We still go through all of those emotions. There's just different parts. I don't feel ashamed about divorce, but I think a lot of that is through doing the podcast and talking about it so openly. And I even have a necklace now that says divorced that I wear to events that I go to as a podcaster. And, you know, I is kind that, of celebrate Is that it. divorced with a question mark or just divorced? Just divorced. Like it's happened to me. It's like I'm branding myself, like society has branded me. You're a divorced woman and that means certain things to certain people and their stereotypes. So it's kind of like I'm rebranding myself with a bright orange necklace that says divorced and I'm happy about it. But I do think there still is a huge shame around divorce that comes from society. 
and also depictions of divorce in media. And also there's a shame that comes with not being in a relationship for a long time. And I've also spoken to people who have been engaged, but then it's been broken off before they even got married. And that can be incredibly painful as well. Mm. And that's, you know, they didn't go through the process of marriage. And also I think there's a shame around not having children in the marriage. Yeah, that's a big it's one. Assumed, well, it's assumed that you kind of, your marriage didn't get to that point where you would have had children, which isn't necessarily true for everyone. And also it's assumed that it's less painful because you don't have children. And obviously, again, I haven't had a marriage with children to compare, but there's a whole different sort of side of things that comes with not having children, which is, you know, I don't have these beautiful human beings to come out of quite a difficult situation that I still have and get to love and cherish. I know you also, it also means you have a connection to your ex, but even in that, you know, I have no connection to my ex. So you could meet me and if I didn't tell you that I'd been married and divorced, you'd have no idea. I could pretend it didn't happen and no one would know. And that's can be a good thing and also a bad thing because I remember in the early days, it felt like I had nothing to show for this almost decade of my life. And also, yeah, people just assume it's easier because you didn't have to sort out childcare. And I realized childcare and co-parenting is incredibly difficult and a whole nother ball game. And I've interviewed, you know, lots of people who've had difficult and good versions of that. But there's still all the emotions there you know, that you have, even if children aren't in the picture. So what were your expectations going into divorce? Because I think we have a lot of unspoken expectations. So let's have yours first, and then let's look at what your guests' expectations of divorce might have been. I think my expectations were that I was suddenly going to be the divorced woman in films or soaps. So I was going to wear leopard print all the time. (laughs) And I was going to have sex with everyone, including people a lot younger than me. And I was going to be the kind of wild woman on nights out and everyone would be like, oh, it's Sam, she's divorced. And that would be the explanation as to why I was dancing on bars. And to be honest, I fully lent into that stereotype. And I had a lovely time. But also I didn't sort of, I didn't get there as quickly as I thought I would. I didn't get to that celebration stage. I definitely got there and I definitely celebrated, but it wasn't immediate. There was a bit of, you know, hard stuff and crying on the floor and not showering for a week. And then my sister telling me I had to shower because I stunk, you know, all of those things before I got to the wild leopard print lady stage, which I loved. But I assumed everyone went through that. So it was very interesting to start the podcast and be like, oh, some people just didn't have, I think I interviewed someone who said on the podcast, my nunny shut up like a clam, which is (laughs) one of my favorite phrases. So they had the complete opposite reaction to me, which was I had a sexual explosion, which I talk about freely on the podcast and had a lovely time, whereas they did the opposite and kind of more so spent time with themselves. Whereas I was like, 
just wanted to spend time with other people. I mean, at the time, I was also hosting a show called Magic Mike Live, which had 15 semi-naked professional dancers. And I was talking about reclaiming your sexuality and like owning your body on stage every night. So that might have had a, an influence. I went to see Magic Mike live in Berlin. Were you the, yes, the, the female, female host? She was actually sitting next to me at the beginning of the show. And I was thinking, why is this woman here on her own? Because you saw every other, there were groups of women. And there was this woman sitting next to us in the audience because it's sort of an interactive show, I think is possibly mm. the best way of putting it. So um, I have a very good idea of what Magic Mike is like. And yes. I could imagine that that would send you into uh, leopard print worlds because it's just full of female testosterone, isn't it? Or whatever the female equivalent of testosterone is. Estrogen. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting one. So I originated the London role. So we start in the audience and I'd normally explain that away. So I'd normally have a chat to the person next to me and I say, oh my God, my friends are upstairs, Mm -hmm. but there wasn't an extra seat and they wouldn't let me sit with them. So I have to sit down here on my own. So can I be your friend? And then obviously I'd get pulled up and they'd be like, oh my God, our new friend got pulled up. Oh, hang on. (laughs) She's hosting the show. But well, it's funny because it's a very heavily female audience. And a lot of the audience would come up to me and be like, oh my God, this is the best job ever. You know, you're with all these hunky men all day. And interestingly, so I'm bisexual and I came out publicly as bisexual after my divorce. For a lot of Magic Mike, I was in a relationship with a woman. So I feel like I went the other way (laughs) because I was so surrounded by these men all the time. But yeah, I did find joy in the leopard print. So did your divorce bring up some of the unresolved material or past pain from when your parents split up? I don't think it did necessarily because they never got divorced. But they did split up. And how old were you when they split up? I'd left the family home and I think I was at drama school. So I would have been like 22. But well, for me, I'd wanted them to split up for a long time before. And maybe that's why I made the divorce decision. I don't want to say more easily because it wasn't easy, but I didn't wait as long as I could have because I'd seen my parents incredibly unhappy and I wanted them to split up to be happy. So for me, it sort of didn't come soon enough. (laughs) I think the real issue and trauma for me was when they sold our family home. Yep. Because I never assumed that that would be a consequence of divorce. I assumed that like one of them would stay in it. And actually that house and that safety unit that I'd grown up in then being sold, even though I didn't live there anymore, that was such a big thing for me. So for me, it was more about that and that kind of, that safety net rather than them separating. So for me, I think it was more about I really wanted to keep the house that I'd been living in with my ex. And to be fair, we'd only been living here for like six, nine months before we split up. So we'd moved from somewhere else. But I really wanted to keep the house as this kind of symbol of safety 
almost and togetherness of myself and like so I think that came up for me yep we've just sold my family home from when I was a child my father died just over a year ago and we lived in that house from when I was six and when my father died I was like 62 so I can 100% understand the loss of the family home. And I think it's particularly difficult when you're just being launched off in the world. It's a bit like going off the diving board, but somebody's taken the diving board away when you're just about to leap off it. I mean, it is difficult. Yeah, because I was like, what if everything goes wrong and I have to move back home? And, you know, both my parents then bought or rented houses with a room that I could have moved back into, but it just didn't obviously feel the same. You want the womb, really, don't you, in a time of crisis? Yeah. And somebody sold the womb. How dare they? I know. Why couldn't they just keep this expensive house and then have enough money to buy other houses to live in? So rude. I know. And it sort of highlights that whatever we think are expectations of divorce, is it has that way of throwing up shocks and surprises. Yeah. And even if we want it, we do have to grieve. And we live in a society that's not very keen on grieving. We want to push it to, to one side. And so unless we have this honest conversation, divorce is going to be harder, not easier. This idea that, you know, if we just big it up and we just talk about the leopard skin and, you know, having a great time and the great opportunities, you know, there are opportunities, but um, there's also pain too. And, you know, that's why I think your podcast is so brilliant, because this is a truly honest conversation in all its many forms. It's a sort of an idea that could run forever. Do you think you could talk about divorce forever? I don't know about that. Um, it's funny. My friend said to me that I've managed to monetize divorce, but anyone who does podcasts will know you don't make money from podcasts unless it becomes like a sensation and you get your own TV show. But what keeps me going is kind of messages that I get from people listening and emails and, you know, on on social media saying that, you know, someone even said to me, the podcast saved their life after Gosh. their divorce, you know, when they felt so low and so alone. And it seems to mean something to people having these conversations and has an impact on their lives. And I remember when I first thought of doing the podcast selfishly for myself to talk to other people about divorce. And, you know, I am a broadcaster and I interview people. So, that was a kind of straightforward setup for me. So I was like, I'll just interview people about divorce because that'll be interesting for me and help my process, which it has massively. I've learned so much from all the people I speak to and processed a lot of my own stuff. But I remember I said to someone my idea for the podcast and they said, who wants to listen to two women moaning about their exes? <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. Like, that's what people are going to think of when I say I'm doing a podcast about divorce. And and I thought, I'm just going to do it. And actually, it couldn't be more opposite from that description. You know, we don't talk about the ex, we talk about recovery. And, and I know you said about, we need to talk about the bad bits of divorce. But for me, I, I really want to also talk about the good bits because there are really good bits. And I don't think anyone 
goes into a divorce thinking, oh, it's all going to be amazing. You know, they know it's going to be sad and hard because all breakups are sad and hard. You know, even when you're a teenager, even if you break up with a friend. But there are really great bits. You know, in my new series, I've interviewed Sarah Miller, who is a lifestyle designer and she designs ceramics and bed linen and wallpaper. And it's like, you know, all available in John Lewis. It's like fancy, lovely stuff. And she only started her business because she got divorced and that gave her the confidence. And Sarah Millican, who I did my first episode with, the comedian, she only started stand-up because she got divorced. And she thought, I feel horrific. So what's the worst that could happen if I give stand-up a go finally? And there is a real power in that place of sadness and emptiness, but also potential for the future that does push you to maybe do that thing you've always wanted to do or to look inside yourself and address those things that you've always wanted to work on or whatever it is. And so there is this really amazing thing that also comes out of divorce that I think isn't ever portrayed in the media because we see just leopard print women shagging. (laughs) Because when a, a door closes, a window opens. So what's the best piece of advice that you've been given from your podcast? Oh, there've been so many, but I think a useful piece of advice for the divorce, but also then for me, because I'm in a new relationship now. And that's, Congratulations. Thanks. But that's bringing up its own, because I saw this as, I was like, when I'm in a new relationship and I'm in love, that's it, right? I've completed the circle, job done. Uh, but absolutely not. Like it's bringing up so much stuff from the divorce and from my past relationship. So it's really interesting. But I think I've carried this bit of advice into new relationships, which is, I can't remember word for word, but it was Sarah Millican. So it's the first episode I ever did. But she said, if someone doesn't think you're amazing and doesn't want to be with you because you're incredible, why would you stay with them? And I just love the simplicity of that. And I was like, wow. Yeah. You know, I remember when we were initially having separation conversations in my marriage, my first thought was, I felt like I couldn't say out loud all these thoughts I'd had. So when he started the conversation initially, and then I was like, no, 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 everything's fine. Like, and I was trying to put plasters over it and say it was going to be okay. And, and it was that moment of, not that he didn't think I was amazing, but someone is showing that they don't want to be with me, but it makes me feel desperate and like I have to be with them and I have to convince them to be with me. And I think we've all felt that moment in our lives, whether it's part of a marriage or whatever it is. And just that taking a step back and being like, no, hang on, I have worth. I'm a great person to be around, a person to be in a relationship with. You know, I obviously have my faults, but I'm also, you know, a lovely human. So why wouldn't someone want to be in a relationship with me? And if this person doesn't want that, then that's not going to be good for me being in a relationship with them. And I think that kind of idea, it's almost like taking back the control when you're in a 
or in a situation where you just feel desperate and you feel like you're grabbing at things. And that's really stayed with me like on the dating scene as well of like, you know, if someone's not treating me the way I think I deserve to be treated, to me that says they don't think I'm amazing and and want to be with me. So why would I want to be with them? So yeah, I do like that bit of advice. And what have you learned about yourself? I think I've learned more about myself since the divorce happened. So the process of divorce, I think, was such an emotional whirlwind that it almost like I couldn't learn anything because I was just in it and it was so present and I was feeling everything. And then afterwards, you can kind of take stock and look back. And, you know, I was in counselling during the divorce process and also I have continued afterwards. And I think afterwards I've done so much. I call it, it's so cheesy, but I like, I call it heart healing. Like I've done a lot of heart healing and I realised that I had a lot of you know, if we're going to talk metaphors, love a good, me- I, I mean, I write children's books. I love a good metaphor. You know, if you imagined all these holes in my heart and I thought that they'd all been put there from the divorce and actually there were loads of holes already there since way before my marriage even existed that I'd never addressed. And so I feel like since the divorce, I've addressed the divorce holes and also that all the underlying holes, and that's not to say it, they're all gone, but you know, I've done a lot of work on myself and I think I've learned that I like being with myself, you know, whether that means spending time on my own or just being happy in in my own company and being happy in myself that I bring something of worth and of value to the world and to relationships. And I think I've, that's been a really big learner. And people are surprised because, you know, I'm a performer. I've always been confident, but there's having outward confidence and then actually feeling that inside and kind of not projecting it. And I think that's the biggest thing I've learned. The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and visit our website, andrewgmarshall.com forward slash podcast, where you can join our supporters club and unlock bonus material and other benefits. So one of the great things about The Meaningful Life is you can get involved. You can become a supporter and provide some money because it costs money to put this podcast together. You get a whole load of bonus material. We'll talk about that a bit more in the later. And we're always very pleased to hear from you with ideas for podcasts. Um, I had one the other day suggesting doing something on neurodiverse couples, and we're in the process of organising that. Perhaps you've got an idea or you'd like to write a letter to us. And here is this week's letter. I'm hoping you can help me or advise me or point me in any direction. I was with my husband for 30 years from when we were both 16. Married for 22 years with two boys who are now teenagers. I thought we were happy. We did everything together. He actively sought my company out right until he dropped a bombshell 14 weeks ago that he no longer loves me and was leaving and left that night. 
This was a bolt from the blue for me. Our family, our friends, everyone is shocked. He doesn't seem to have anyone else and says it's not about that. He just needs to live alone, separate from us. He doesn't want an official separation or divorce, but to remain married on paper. I just want him to talk to me, to give our marriage a chance, but he says it's done. There's no chance to give. I'm just so lost. I don't know what went wrong and would do anything to fix it. Well, first of all, I'm so sorry that that's happening because that is hard stuff. And I'm sending you a huge hug to that person because... Two hugs. Yeah, because I didn't go through that exact experience, but I know all the pain and questions that you have. So that is hard and well done for getting up every morning and for managing to send a letter or email because at these times, even that is mammoth. And well done for reaching out because I think that's such an important thing as well because we can bottle up all these emotions and actually, you know, getting in contact and saying, any tips, you know, even to close friends and family. And everyone will give you, and listen, this is the other thing, everyone will give you their advice and their advice will all be fueled by their own experience. So you have to know what to take and what to not absolutely ignore. And that will be the same for me and my advice. I guess my biggest thing is you're not alone. This, unfortunately, this happens to lots of people and all those people have survived and have gone on to live full lives, whether it's with their partners or not. So that's something to hold on to. I mean, I know what my advice is, but I don't know if this is the time (laughs) that this person will want to hear this advice. But I think if you want to give the marriage a chance, then you should absolutely fight for that because that's your belief. But if one person in the marriage doesn't want to be in the marriage, then the marriage has to end. Unless he changes his mind, the marriage has to end and he needs to make up his mind. You can't change it for him. You can fight for what you believe in, but you can't change his mind for him. He has to come to that decision. So I would remember Sarah Millican's words of, if someone doesn't think you're amazing and want to be with you, then why would you want to be with them? That's not to say he doesn't still think you're amazing. You know, you said he sought out your company. And of course, because it sounds like you're an excellent human. Why wouldn't people seek out your company? But if he doesn't want to be with you, why would you want to put yourself through that? And I think a lot of that is to do with we want to hold on to a marriage. We want to hold on to a certain situation. We want to create a unit for our children. And again, you know, fight for that if that's what you want. But again, you deserve happiness. You deserve to be with someone who wants to be with you. You deserve to have an environment where you feel comfortable and valued. And your children deserve happy parents. And I I guess that's my advice. Also, I think a lot of the time in these situations, we ask for advice from people but we know deep down what we're going to do. And one of my best friends and I, we have these questions that we ask each other and then we always say, 
you know what you're going to do. What is it? Because you do, you know, deep down, you know the avenue that you're going to take, whether you're going to fight for the marriage and try and push him to do counselling or whatever it is, or if you're going to start divorce proceedings or, you know, whatever all those options are. So I think you know deep down and you know better than anyone else because you're in it, but you will be happy in the future. Whatever you decide, eventually you will get there and hold on to that. So I'm going to give one piece of advice and I'm also going to give a, a, a shot at trying to explain what's going on because unfortunately I've seen quite a lot of this before and I've met your husband. I mean, not literally, but I've met people like him. So my advice is I want to unpack your last sentence. I don't know what went wrong and would do anything to fix it. So I want to chop those into two halves because the biggest problem you're going to have is putting those two bits together. I don't know what went wrong and he will start to tell you and then you will immediately want to fix it. So he will say something like, I've lost myself. And then you will immediately want to say, well, you can still find yourself in the marriage. And the problem is you trying to do anything to fix it, which is wonderful and absolutely brilliant, will stop the conversation. Because as soon as he says, you know, I need to find myself, you will immediately come up with 17 ways he could find himself and send him five podcasts and 395 articles. And that is a beautiful, loving thing to do, but is going to shut him down. So if you do want to know what went wrong, and I think that that would be really helpful for you, whatever happens, you have to say, mm hmm, after he's told you what went wrong. And you have to say, tell me more. And can you give me an example of that? So you've got to listen. And that's going to be really, really difficult. And it might not be that you're ready to actually listen. But my biggest piece of advice is not to try and fix it at the moment, just to really, 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 really listen. Because that will have two benefits. Number one, it will help him to listen to himself and to understand himself. Number two, it will help you understand the situation. And when you truly understand the situation, whatever happens next, it'll make it easier. You won't have any unanswered questions. Now, it could be, when you actually understand it, that it might be possible to fix it. But if you try and do, I don't know what went wrong and would do anything to fix it at the same time, you can't, in fact, do either of them. So that's my really big piece of advice. Can I add in a thing here about language as well? Because what went wrong suggests that someone is to blame. And actually, things didn't necessarily go wrong, just what happened might be language that feels less blameful for you because you're essentially saying to him, what did I do wrong? You know, maybe you haven't done anything wrong. And, you know, in life, we just do things. They aren't always right or wrong. It might just be different for a situation. And also you wanting to fix it suggests it's broken and you're not broken. He's not broken. It's not broken something's happening, something's changing. 
but there wasn't a whole thing that has been smashed and now you have to glue the pieces back together. Again, that suggests a practical solution of you fixing it. So obviously it's more complicated than that. And let's have my guess at what's been going on. Now, there are people who like to please. They want to make other people happy. Sometimes they've been trained from childhood to make people happy. And how do you make other people happy? You focus on their needs and you push your needs to one side. And what happens is if somebody says, shall we go and visit my mother this weekend? They say, yes, that would be lovely. And they don't mind. They might even quite enjoy it. But there are times when they don't want to go and visit your mother that weekend. They'd rather, I don't know, go fishing or whatever. Now, if they said to you at the time, actually, I don't think I'll come this weekend. I fancy going fishing. You would probably say no problems. But unfortunately, because they want to please so much, they don't tell you about their desire to go fishing. They push it to one side. And, you know, you have no idea how much they want to go fishing. And I'm just using that as one example. And there are 10 million examples. Sometimes these people don't even know they want to go fishing because they're so focused on somebody else's needs. They're not even aware that fishing is something they would like to do. So it's not sometimes even that they have actually suppressed their needs. They just don't know what their needs are. And you can imagine you could carry on quite easily for a long time, just, you know, because you're a dutiful person and there's lots of things that need to be done. And if you've got two children, the number of things to be done are never ending. And you can keep going like this for a long time. And then suddenly, when you have not listened to yourself, you've not spoken up, it suddenly turns into a crisis where you have to leave tomorrow, which sort of seems to be what has actually happened. So my suspicion is your husband is going to have a huge problem explaining all of this stuff because he's probably got a lot of thinking and a lot of processing to do. So this is going to take a long time. But I hope that having some sense that actually this is probably going to be a lot about him and very little about you will also help as well. There is not going to be a short answer to this and trying to get to a short answer is going to make everything worse. So actually, I've got a second piece of advice. Whatever you do, don't rush into anything. Take your time. Listen and get lots of support for you, actually. I think, if anything, I've got even more advice. Get some help yourself. You know, somebody who's going to listen to you about your pain is going to, from time to time, when you're going to be trying to say, you know, how can I make him feel better, actually focus it back on you. Because often I find that when you've got one partner who is focusing on making the other person happy, you've often got two people that are like that. You know, it could be that you have also been focused on making him happy, making, you know, back to my example, your mother happy, making your sons happy. And actually, what you want is something that you've never really thought about either. So, 
some counselling for you too might be helpful as well because it's going to support you and it will check out if you've lost yourself as well. Because actually, if you've both lost yourselves, then it's possibly that you, if he is going to come back, you're going to have to do some work to be ready for that new relationship because you can't fix the old relationship, but you could have potentially a new relationship together. But we don't know about that yet. I hope that was helpful. Unfortunately, we're beginning to run out of time. So I have to ask you what makes your life meaningful? Well, it's such a big question. (laughs) But I think um, what feels meaningful to me in what I do is if I can bring a little bit of joy to people's lives, you know, and that comes from me training as a comedian, I guess. But, you know, it might just be a giggle from a silly video that I've put on Instagram, or it might be joy in feeling less alone through my podcast, you know. And I also have a book out in April called Living with Hearing Loss and Deafness, mm-hmm. a guide to owning it and loving it because I'm deaf and I'm an ambassador for RNID. And I think what makes my life feel meaningful is when I have those conversations as a deaf activist and and kind of make people feel like they're being heard and there's someone out there who gets what they're going through. And we'll put the details of that book in the show notes. And that sort of sense of owning it and positivity is something that you do a lot of. And I'd like to talk a little bit about positivity and how to own stuff and use it in a a positive kind of way in our bonus material. And if you'd like to hear the bonus material... You can subscribe directly via Apple or Spotify. We're also available on Amazon Music. And if you want to become a supporter of The Meaningful Life and get all of this bonus material, all the wisdom of all of my guests, here are the details. You've been listening to The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. You can follow Andrew on Twitter, like him on Facebook, and please leave a review wherever you consume your podcasts. Making, editing, and distributing The Meaningful Life comes with substantial costs, and we'd like to ask for your help. Visit our website, andrewgmarshall.com forward slash podcast, where you can join our supporters club and unlock bonus material for every program, send in a letter to be discussed by Andrew and his guests, and join a community of other people seeking to make their life meaningful. At the gold level, you get even more benefits. Production of The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall is by Michael Dooney. Social media by Madeleine Healy. Sound engineering and theme tune by Sebastian de la Luz Mendoza. And I'm Susie Collick. Please tell your friends and spread the word. Thank you.